0: So, Father God, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity, God, that we have to consider some really challenging questions as it relates to science and faith. Uh, And so, Lord, I pray that there would not be any confusion here uh, this morning on the topic of science and faith, but God, I pray that what we're going to talk about in these moments, God, would actually help people see you. Uh, God would help people see how great and powerful and mighty you are as God. Uh, So God, would you please take these moments that we have, and uh, God, just bless. You know where everyone is on our faith journey, and so God, would you speak to us in a very very loud and very profound way, and we pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, so we started Ask, this is week number six, I believe, uh, and we've covered some really great questions uh, and this morning, we're covering uh, some questions as it relates to science and faith. Uh, but as I've mentioned, each time we uh, have started this, the, these messages, our heart is not just to provide answers. Uh, our heart is that you would see God. Lots of people have great questions, meaningful, thoughtful, engaging, challenging, hard questions, but not everyone gets to see God in the midst of the questions that they're asking. And so our heart was not just to give you some thoughtful biblical answers. Our heart was to help you see God in the midst of the questions that you are asking. Uh, And this morning, we're asking some really great, very thoughtful, but also very challenging questions as it relates to science. And my heart in this conversation here, in this topic that we're covering, is that you would go away not saying, oh, I have a little bit better understanding of science and faith and how they work together. Uh, My heart for me and for all of you is that you would go away saying, I got to see God in in the midst of this. I can see God with clearer eyes, and the view that God gave me of himself was actually enlarged. Uh, Here were some of the questions as it relates to science. Uh, Is it allowed to believe in both science and God? Is it allowed to believe in both science and God? And uh, a second question that came in, could God have used evolution as his mechanism for creation? Uh, Those are just two questions. There was many more that came in uh, under that topic of of science and faith and and creation and how did God choose to create everything, but those are the questions that we're going to look at specifically today, and I've invited a a friend of mine, Gavin, uh, to come, and he's a scientist who's a Christian, so I'm excited for you to hear from someone who's wrestled with these things, Uh, but before we get there, I wanted to share some things that hopefully will be a challenge, uh, but also an encouragement. Uh, Challenge number one, none of us knows everything there is to know. None of us. I don't care if you have 10 degrees uh, or your background, your experience. None of us knows everything there is to know. And because of that, we can approach this conversation, this topic, this subject with just incredible, incredible humility. Uh, none of us approaches this with I know everything on the science side and no one can approach it. I know everything there is to know about God. So we approach this topic, this subject of science and faith with incredible humility. Uh, A second challenge that I would give is this is a very sensitive subject for many people. It's a highly sensitive subject. So two things I would ask of you is if you hear me or even Gavin say something today that irks you, uh, meaning bothers you, please do not check out. Be okay to have um, your presuppositions and conclusions challenged. None of us knows everything. So if you hear something today that maybe you disagree with, do not leave. Do not check out. Just let's have a conversation about science and faith, uh, and let's be open to learning maybe new things and being challenged with uh, different things. Uh, And then kind of a challenge with that is when talking about this topic, this subject with others, seek to understand them, seek to understand where they're at rather than just trying to convince them to think like you think. Uh, Our heart in this topic, this subject, is not to try to win arguments, uh, but is to help people walk with God. And I'm convinced as we think about science and faith uh, very thoughtfully as well as very biblically, our, uh, our view of God will actually be enlarged. So I just want you to know, uh, I'm not trying to win an argument here today, and certainly neither would Gavin. Uh, Our heart today is to help all people walk with God, and actually science can do that. It can help us understand God, but also have a a tremendous picture of him. Uh, And the last challenge invitation I would give would be uh, this. We don't need to be afraid of this topic. We don't need to be afraid of this topic. Too many times when you even start talking about science in church or Science and faith, and uh, it's a divisive, divisive subject and topic. And I just wanted to encourage you, it it doesn't have to be. Uh, We can actually uh, thank people who are scientists and thoughtfully study um, how we can understand and know things. Uh, We can say thank you for science and how God has used science to help us understand Him. Uh, So it doesn't need to be a very divisive topic, but sadly, it has. Uh, I'm not a scientist. I've read a lot, uh, and I've thought a lot about these things, and any science that I have engaged in has always led me to a deeper understanding and conclusion of how great and massive God is. And anytime my view of God is enlarged, that means my worship is greater, my affection, my obedience, my love for him is greater. So we don't need to be afraid of this topic, but we approach it with great humility. Uh, Tim Keller uh, wrote a great book called The Reason for God, and he said this, Many people today, both secular and Christian, want us to believe that science and religion cannot live together. Not only is that untrue, but we believe uh, that a thoughtful dialogue between science and faith is essential for engaging the hearts and minds of individuals today. And I appreciated uh, how he said this in this book. We believe that a thoughtful dialogue between science and faith, that needs to happen That needs to happen, and that's what's going to happen today, uh, is essential for engaging the hearts and minds of individuals today. Uh, So the questions that we're going to talk about, the questions that we're going to begin to answer uh, today, be encouraged that the Bible is actually not silent on these things. Uh, I think sometimes in Christian circles, it's the idea of, well, the Bible doesn't want to say anything about science, and that's just not true. But I would tell you that the Bible is not a science book. Uh, we don't understand atoms and DNA and how all of that, the Bible doesn't teach you how to understand certain things that science has, has learned and discovered. Uh, it was Augustine who said this very well, the Bible's not a scientific textbook seeking to answer the ever-changing inquiries of science, but rather a theological textbook seeking to reveal God and the means by which he saves us. So it's not a science book. If you approach the Bible as a science book, you'll be a little bit disappointed but if you approach the scriptures as the scriptures reveal to us, this is who God is, this is what God is like, this is what God has done, and this is how we can even know God, uh, well, then your world will be changed because God has revealed himself to us. Um, I want to share with you, what does the Bible actually have to say about science and faith and creation? And I'm going to give you five very quick things. And You don't have to write all of these scriptures, but write down just the reference so later today you can go back and consider these. But number one, the Bible reveals that God is the creator and sustainer of all things in the universe. The Bible makes clear that there is a creator, God is the creator, he's created everything and he is sustaining everything. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right from the very first verse in the first book, first chapter in scripture, we know right away who God is. That God is the creator, and creators create, and he created the heavens and the earth. That means everything that we know and see was created by God. Uh, Isaiah forty-five eighteen says this, "'For the Lord is God, and he created the heavens and the earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord,' he says, "'and there is no other.'" Again, this is just two verses I share, but there are so many verses that say God is the creator, and our creator created us to know him, uh, to walk with him. Second thing, Bible Bible reveals that everything belongs to God. He is the ruler of all. Bible reveals that everything belongs to God, and he is the ruler of all. The psalmist says this in Psalm 89, the heavens are yours, and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. I just love the psalmist, this picture. He's looking everywhere. God, you own that. You created that. You own that as well. Psalmist goes on in Psalm 93. The Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Why? Well, because the Bible makes clear that everything that we know, everything that we see, belongs to God. He's the ruler of all. Third thing the Bible says, the Bible reveals that creation proclaims the glory and the greatness of the creator. Meaning when we just look out, when we look at one another, when we look up at the stars in the heavens, we can see the glory of God in what he has actually created. Uh, Psalm 19 says this, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Again, I love the picture. If we just open our eyes, we can see the beauty, the majesty, the enormity of all that God has created, and it's proclaiming his glory and his greatness. Number four, the Bible reveals that God makes himself known to the created through creation not saying this is the only way that God reveals himself to us, but the Bible does make clear that through creation, through our understanding of creation, through our understanding of everything that we see and know and understand, it points us to God, that God's revealed himself to us through this. Romans chapter 1, they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. We as people, the created, have no excuse to ever say, well, I didn't know there was a God. God would say, just open your eyes. Just open your eyes to the reality of who you are and how you were created. Just open your eyes to the enormity, the magnificence of the world, the universe that we live in. Uh, the fifth thing the Bible says, the Bible reveals that the creator is wicked powerful. I didn't know how else to say wicked, but I just that was the best descriptor I could come up with. The Bible makes clear, uh, reveals that the creator is strong. He is powerful. Um, it says this in Psalm 33. The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all of the stars were born. He assigned the sea in its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord, and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. That, to me, is a really powerful statement of how powerful God as creator is. He speaks and things happen. He spoke the world into existence. Um, Now, the few verses that I've shared uh, in the Psalms, as well as in Genesis chapter 1, are about as close to science as the Bible is actually going to get. Science is concerned with asking the question of how, namely, how do things work? But science can only accomplish so much, meaning even science is limited in its scope. So the Bible doesn't teach everything that we could know about science, but science is also limited in its scope because science is asking, is concerned with the question of how. Uh, Robert uh, Vellard, who was a a scholar of C.S. Lewis, said this, even if science could answer every question there is about the universe, its origins, its evolution, and so forth, such scientific answers would move us no nearer to philosophical truth than if we had remained scientifically ignorant omniscient science still could not answer why there is something. I want you to catch this. Scientific omniscient science, all-knowing science, uh, still could not answer why there is something, the universe, rather than nothing, or where everything came from, or why we exist. I like how he says, let us not mangle what science can do and what it cannot do. So that is not a quote to share with you to say, well, then we should just ignore science. Rather, we look to science to have a greater depth of our understanding of how God chose to create all things. Now, I know that not every scientist would agree that the God of the Bible is the creator of all, but at least the more scientists that I interact with, and there's many scientists here in this community, and by the way, there's all sorts of science. There's, so, there's like 50 different types of sciences, if not more. But every scientist that I'm getting to know and learn from, uh, they might not confess the God of the Bible to be God, but they are, not all obviously, but many that I know, come to the point of, there seems to be a design though. There seems to be some intelligence behind everything that is happening. They might not confess God as creator of all, but they are wrestling with the intricacies of intelligence and, and not randomness in this design. Um, Freeman Dyson said this, and he's a theoretical physicist, mathematician, known for his work in quantum uh, electrodynamics, solid-state physics, astronomy, and nuclear engineering. So he's read a little bit, and he says this, "'The more I examine the universe and the details of its architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe, in some sense, must have known we were coming.'" And this is a scientist who's very well-versed, obviously, and would actually say that he's a Christian, but even in his Christian faith, he would say that there are certain things that uh, he was agnostic on that we could not know. Uh, But he does know enough to say it certainly would seem that the universe knew that we were going to show up, and all the conditions that were necessary for us to come uh, were there. Um, My question, if this is what the Bible teaches about creation and the Creator, then is this in any contradiction? Is this a contradiction to what science has learned about creation? Like, is science and faith, are they in contradiction to one another? In other words, does modern-day science contradict what the Bible has to say about creation? That's a great question, but maybe start by answering, the, uh, answering this question first. Uh, if you want to know if science and, and faith are in contradiction, how do you even define science? So, I'm going to ask you, hey, what's a definition of how do we define science? I would give you this knowledge, a systematic structure that builds and organizes knowledge in the form of testable explanations and predictions. Science is asking great questions of how. We want to know how does this work? How does this work? How does all of this happen? And in order for science to remain science, it needs to also be very faithful to itself, meaning scientific theory is empirical. It is observed, and it is always open to falsification. So if there's new evidence presented, the scientist must be on guard against maybe biases that he or she would have. Uh, Jonathan Wells, he's a Christian microbiologist, said this, like all other scientific theories, Darwinian evolution must be continually compared with the evidence if it doesn't fit the evidence, it must be reevaluated or abandoned. Otherwise, it's not science, but myth. So, again, I say this because if you're a scientist, you need to be incredibly humble because you don't know everything. And if you're a Christian, uh, you need to be incredibly humble as well because you don't know everything. But I'm not suggesting that science cannot learn from faith and vice versa, uh, they don't have to be exclusive. Uh, what I am encouraged in my limited studies of science is it's actually helping me to see God, helping me to understand God, helping me to worship God. But here's a question that C.S. Lewis actually proposed. Uh, why is science even possible? Think about that for a second. Why is it even possible that we have scientists? Meaning, why is it that we can even have Uh, understanding of the physical world in which we live? How is it that we not only can ask thoughtful, logical, reasoned questions about the world we live in, but we can also have answers or at least insights into the universe? A scientist who does not believe in God would have a very difficult time answering that question. How do we even have the ability to have knowledge, the ability to reason, to think thoughtfully? How is it that we even have emotions and intellect in all of this? Well, for the Christian, me. As a Christian, it makes perfectly good sense that you and I could be scientists asking thoughtful questions because you and I were created in the image of our Creator. And our Creator is logical, he's thoughtful, he's emotional, he's rational. So we bear that image, which means if our Creator can think, if our Creator asks questions, if our Creator is logical and orderly, then those who've been created in his image can do the exact same. Now, we've looked at what science is, and um, we've looked at why we can do science, but I want to answer this question, is science and faith, is it really in contradiction? And I would say yes, and then I would say no. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, I'll start with the no. I say no because there is no conflict between Christianity and science in itself. We believe that God created the world with natural laws and orderliness, which is the basic foundation of science. So no, we believe that God created the world not just in this crazy, chaotic thing. We believe he created the world that we live in with order, uh, not chaos. But I would say, yes, there is contradiction because there, there could be conflict between Christianity and scientific naturalists or scientific naturalism. Uh, a scientific naturalist or naturalism would go as far as say there is no God. Uh, there is no evidence for a creator. There is no evidence for a designer. Uh, and so I would say the Bible is in complete contradiction with those who would claim scientific naturalism or naturalist. Um, Bertrand Russell, who certainly gets picked on a lot, but he wrote a lot. So uh, he wrote a lot about his atheism, his God is, is there is no there is no God, uh, but this is what he said uh, in, um, uh, about science and creation. He says, man is the product of causes which had no previ- uh, prevision of the end they were achieving. That is, origin, his growth, his hopes, his fears, his loves, his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental uh, collections of atoms. You and I, when we we must always follow the path to its logical conclusion. So if that's his conclusion, then you and I would be living in a world of just great despair, discouragement, depression, hopelessness. If you and I really believe that you and I are just a random collection of atoms somehow strong together, uh, then there's just not much meaning in anything that we do because everything we do is just random anyways. Uh, and similar to Bertrand Russell, uh, Richard Dawkins has written a lot on science and faith, And uh, when he was asked, "Does this conclusion that Richard da- or Bertrand Russell is, does that how do you respond to that? Is that depressing? I don't feel depressed about it, but if somebody does, that's their problem. Maybe the logic is deeply pessimistic. The universe is bleak, cold and empty, but so what? So that, to me, that's sad. But he's followed the logical conclusion, if there is no God, then everything is random. Everything is by chance. In my humble opinion, it would take a tremendous amount of faith to actually be a scientific naturalist, to actually have the audacity to claim that there is no God, to know that we have limited knowledge to make an infinite statement that there is no God would take an incredible amount of faith to do that. I'm going to give you a few things. If if you're a scientific naturalist, and I'm going to guess that maybe some are here, and I'm going to guess that many of the men and women that you live with and work with and spend time with would actually say, I'm a scientific naturalist, meaning there is no, I'm an atheist. Uh, if that's true, well, a few things that you would need to believe. Number one, you need to believe that nothing produces everything. That takes a lot of faith to believe that, that out of nothing came everything, Uh, J.P. Moreland uh, wrote a great book called The God Question, said, you can't get something from nothing if the universe began with dead matter having no consciousness. How then do you get something totally different? Consciousness, living, thinking, feeling, believing creatures from materials that don't have that. But uh, if everything started in the mind of God, we don't have a problem with explaining the origin of our mind. And it just, nothing does not produce everything. But if you're going to be a scientific naturalist and claim that, you'd have to believe that nothing produced everything. You'd also need to believe that non-life produces life. Out of something that there was no life, life came. Uh... Francis Collins, uh, scientist, head of the Genome Project, said this, "'I can't imagine how nature, in this case, the universe, could have created itself, "'and the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it, "'and it seems to me that that had to be outside of nature.'" So he's pointing to that it would certainly, the evidence would point to that there is intelligence, there is a designer, there is a creator— but if you take that out and say, I don't believe in intelligence designer or creator, you're going to need to believe that non-life actually produced life. And one last one I'd give you, you need to believe that randomness produces fine-tuning. Pick up any book and flip through it. I promise you, you will not conclude that that randomly just got put together. That letters formed words, and words formed sentences, and sentences formed paragraphs, and paragraphs, chapters, and chapters a book. Like, I don't think anyone would be like, well this is amazing. This just randomly, how did this happen? I think all of us would conclude, well, there was an author. That's how that happened. There was an author who was typing letters and words and sentences and paragraphs and chapters, and that's why you have that book, is there was a designer. There was some thoughtfulness put into that. But if you say there is no God or a scientific naturalist, you need to believe that randomness produces fine-tuning. Fred Hoyle, who's an astronomer gave a good example. He said, the probability of life arising on earth by purely natural means without special divine aid is less than the probability that a flight-worthy Boeing 747 should be assembled by a hurricane roaring through a junkyard. And that's just to the point of, we don't live in a random, you're not, your body is not randomly strung together. Uh, The world that we live in was not randomly strung together. There is intelligence, there is design, and I would believe what the Bible says that God is the creator of absolutely all of that. So would I personally, would Christianity be in conflict to scientific naturalism? Absolutely, because they believe that there is no God. Uh, and I do. I believe that there is a God. I believe that God has created you and created me and has created us in our image. I believe that God has created the universe and all that we know and all that we see. And we don't know all and we don't see all, but I do know what God allows us to see and allows us to see, or allows us to know and see. I believe God is the creator of all of that. I um, wanted to invite, uh, where did you go? Gavin, there you are. Uh, Gavin, if you would come up on stage with me to a, a very warm welcome from Genesis. Uh, Gavin, how are you? Um, Gavin has is, uh, is been a friend for a while. We haven't connected in, in a long time, uh, but uh, Gavin is um, uh, serves as a deacon at Hope Christian Church, uh, which is the church that was responsible for helping to plant uh, Genesis. Yeah, you're good. Um, and so when I was knew this topic uh, and subject was coming up, the first person that I thought to, uh, to want to come and, and speak to us today was Gavin. Uh, and I haven't seen Gavin in a while, but uh, what I know of Gavin is he's a very thoughtful scientist, uh, but he's also uh, a very thoughtful Christian, uh, that his conclusions are there is a God and God wants us to know him. So uh, we have someone who is very solid in his faith, I mean, has a relationship with Jesus, but very solid in his science as well. Uh, so Gavin, just kind of two-minute highlight reel of how did you come to faith and then kind of the interest in science, where did that come from?
1: Sure. So um, I was actually uh, born into a Christian family. Uh, both my parents were strong Christians um, before I was born. Uh, uh, my dad was actually the son of a Baptist minister, so <laughs> uh, fairly uh, conservative evangelical background. Um, they were both missionaries in Thailand. That's where they met and uh, and got married, and then um, you know subsequently moved to Canada. I grew up in Canada, um, and then you know as I was growing up, uh, just had a really really strong interest in um, math in particular, as well as science, and uh, but you know from a very early age, my dad was an ophthalmologist, and so. You know, I had this vision that I was going to become a doctor one day, and uh, had that vision from about the age of five uh, till about my sophomore year in, uh, in undergrad. Hmm. And it was there, at that point, that I got really, um, you know, in particular, really fascinated by science and by research. And um, you know, I wanted to be a doctor uh, mainly because I wanted to, you know, have a have a mechanism of of helping people. Um, and sort of came to this realization. Uh, in undergrad that you know this is not a knock, knock on doctors here, right, but you know a doctor treats a patient one patient at a time, whereas uh, through science you have the ability to affect uh, literally millions of lives um, simultaneously, right If you can guide drug development, for example, uh, that can really impact a lot of lives and so at that point, I uh, changed, uh, went uh, in the direction of scientific research. I uh, Got married a week after graduating undergrad, and then moved with my wife down to San Diego, where I went to graduate school um, and then in one thousand nine hundred and ninety eight moved up to the Boston area, uh, where I was a postdoc um, at Harvard University for a couple years, uh, then a fellow at the Center for Genomics Research at Harvard, and then uh, joined the faculty in the chemistry department there um, uh, and was uh, on faculty in, in the chemistry department for about uh, eight years. Did um, you end up at Harvard because Ohio State said no to you? Or... <laughs> yeah, it was my safety school. Okay, it was your safety. Good. All right.
0: You always need to have a safety. <laughs> um,
1: but then about six years ago, I uh, ended up uh, moving to a company that I had uh, co-founded while I was at Harvard, a biotech company uh, in the Cambridge area called Merrimack Pharmaceuticals, and have been working on uh, cancer drug development um, for the last six years. All right, well, what happened last week? Yeah. It's pretty <laughs> huge. I, I shared this in the earlier service, but yeah, so... Uh, last week, Merrimack actually got uh, their first drug approval. So we got. Uh... Mm. <laughs> yeah, so we got a, a drug approved for uh, late-stage pancreatic cancer. Um, yeah. It was really and it takes like fifteen years, you said, to yeah. get one drug approved. Yeah. So that just happened last week. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Um, you're a scientist. You're a Christian. Uh, but I wanted to ask first, what has God taught you about Him
1: just through your study through science? Right. So. You know, sort of shared this earlier, but I mean, I think science just expands our knowledge of the universe so much beyond uh, what we see as as non-scientists. So you know, as a non-scientist, you can only see what's visible to your eye, right? Which is anything from about, you know, a millimeter up to about a kilometer, right? But um, science opens up worlds that you just, can never see from the extremely small to the extremely large, and you know I think that just my view of God has expanded through knowledge of the, you know, sub-visible world, right? The complexity of of cells, the complexity of our bodies, um, how all these proteins work together, all the way down to subatomic particles, and you know how how that all works, and then at the other end of the spectrum, you know, the scale of the universe is is just incredible. Um, you know, how much matter is out there. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you uh, want a really cool website, I plugged this earlier, but uh, just Google scale of the universe. Um, There's a a flash uh, demonstration that lets you zoom in from minus 30 you know 10 to the minus 35 meters all the way up to 10 to the 27 meters right so you can see the size of a string from string theory all the way up to the entire universe and uh, it's the coolest website you'll ever go to but you know <laughs> it, it really uh shows that you know we're missing so much of what 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 god's created um, just by seeing what we see with our eyes and that you know science really opens up you know a whole new world yeah uh, how about um Uh, Just some of the tensions that you've had to wrestle with as a
0: scientist and uh, as a Christian.
1: Sure. So, you know, I mean, I think, you know, the obvious tension, the one that dominates the media, uh, the one that probably uh, most people in this room are wrestling with, uh, really comes about um, the tension between uh, evolution and creationism, right? So origins of of, uh, life. So I think, you know, probably not as much tension around origins of the universe, although I think that... Uh, that comes in there as well, but, you know, in particular, Origins of, of Life. And so that's something that I've, you know, looked a lot into um, throughout my life. Uh, particularly in undergrad, I spent, you know, my time going to every creation versus evolution debate on campus. I uh, continued doing that through graduate school, and then uh, during my time at Harvard, you know, I read into the, the different areas of, you know, creationism, intelligent design, you know, evolution. And, um, you know, I've arrived at the view that I have today, um, but, you know, before I share that, um, I do want to preface it by saying that, um, you know, we're all coming from different places, we all believe different things, and um, ultimately, I consider this to be a secondary issue uh, to Christianity, right? The primary issue of Christianity is... You know that we have a sin problem; that uh, we're separated from God; that Christ died, and that you know through His death and resurrection uh, we can be reconciled to Him. That's the center of Christianity. You know how life began on this universe. It's an important question, but it's a secondary issue. And if, when I get to heaven, you know I find out that I was wrong, I'll go, okay, you know, <laughs> oh well, right, and enter into glory, right. And I think. <laughs> We have to view that, right? We're not going to, you know, be rejected from heaven because we espoused one view or another. Now, it is true that someone's wrong, right? (laughs) Someone's right. Maybe we're all wrong, right? But uh, you know, if we have different beliefs, someone's wrong and someone's right. But that's not fundamental to our faith.
0: Yeah. Uh, As I mean, what is the tension of? I mean, I guess help me understand or help us understand. You live in a scientific community, and I obviously not every scientist is agnostic or atheist, but how have you navigated just even living in that culture, in that community, right.
1: as a Christian? Yeah, so, you know, I, I'd say that, um, you know, we have these sort of high-profile things that we see in the media about all this, you know, big controversy, but the average scientist is not wrestling with these questions on a day-to-day basis, right? I think this occurs a lot in the academic environment, um, but, you know, the average scientist working in, uh, you know, in, in research, but also then, you know, out in the industrial sector, you know, you're you're not worrying about how God created the world or you know evolution versus creation. You're you're worrying about you know whether your drug produces liver toxicity, right? So these questions are you know fairly confined to the academic world. Uh, but within that world, and I, I was in that world for many years, um, this is a fundamental question and people really do um, wrestle with that. And I had you know close friends in, in the chemistry department. My closest friend there was what you know Michael uh, refers to as, as a, um, a scientific naturalist, right? He believed that there is no God and that you know everything is is completely random. And and yet, I was able to have a, a very close friendship with him. We um, you know continue that friendship to this day. So it's not something that needs to divide people. Um, you know, we can have productive dialogue through that. Hmm. Um, the other thing, though, you know, so uh, I, I commend Michael because um, not only did he invite me. Uh, to come and, and share my views, but he also invited me back to this service after I shared what I shared in the first service. <laughs> so so I do I do commend you for that. Michael and I do not uh, share the same view of, of the origin of the universe, and yet you know we remain you know very good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would say um, is that there is some misunderstanding around the word theory. Right? So when we use the word theory, uh, we often mean hypothesis. So, when you say, um, "I have a theory that Mark's going to invite Jane out for a date," right that's not a theory right That's a hypothesis. You, you have some reason for believing that, right and you're, you uh, you know would form that opinion, but you know that can be proven empirically you know, by the end of the weekend, right <laughs> but, but a theory with a capital T is actually a unifying concept that takes tens of thousands of experiments and unifies them into one. Overarching um, you know, uh, fundamental um, you know, belief, I guess, right, that can then lead to predictions and lead to further experiments. And so a theory is not something that is easily broken. And um, one example is atomic theory, right? So atomic theory says that matter is composed of atoms, right? Or germ theory. Germ theory is the theory that infectious diseases is caused by you know, microorganisms, right? Those are theories, right? And evolutionary theory is a theory with a capital T, right? This is a theory that has existed for 150 years and that has been tested through hundreds of thousands of experiments. And this is not something incidental to biology. It's actually something that underlies all of biology. And you cannot be a biologist without you know, being involved in evolutionary theory. It is it is what underpins the whole uh, industry. And it's not just in the academic world, right? i mean, scientist, I, you know, I'm developing drugs at a drug company. We test those drugs in animals for a reason. It's because we believe that these animals are fundamentally related to us in our biology. And this week we put our next drug into monkeys. Why monkeys, right? Because they're the closest. Uh, to us in terms of their DNA sequence, 96% identical. So there's a reason why we do everything in biology, and it's all underpinned by that theory. So it's not something that's inescapable as a biologist, and it's something that you know, I embrace as a biologist, that it's a unifying theory that, you know, that guides all of the, the experiments that we conduct. And you know, as a, as a non-scientist or a non-biologist, you, don't, you aren't forced to deal with that as a reality, but you know, if anyone you know, is a biologist here they recognize that this is something that you do on a daily basis. If you discover a new gene, the first thing you do is you look at its function in mice and worms and yeast and you know, fruit flies, and, and, and that gives you a clue as to what it does in humans.
0: Uh, um, Gavin's mentioned this, but uh, one of the things that uh, I wanted you to see, uh, in hopes that you would model this as well, uh, is that I might have uh, disagreements on uh, creation. Uh, we don't disagree on creator, obviously. <laughs> Um, but Gavin is a Christian. This man loves the Lord, he's walking with Jesus, and he's my brother, and we're going to spend eternity together. And if that's true, which it is true, uh, then we can have some thoughtful dialogue and conversations uh, where I could say in a very loving way, I disagree with some of the things that, you know, you would espouse to, where he would thoughtfully and lovingly be like, well, I love you too, man, (laughs) but I disagree with you on that. Um, So I just want you to see, um, and I don't know if you can comment to this, but you're a Christian, and your stance on theistic evolution, which you can explain in a second, uh, has not necessarily been widely accepted in Christian circles.
1: True? Yeah. You know, I'd say it's certainly not something that is talked about in the evangelical church.
0: Right? Yeah. Um, so I just want to. There's a time and a place to have a very thoughtful conversation on that, even if there would be disagreement, uh, to encourage and learn from one another. Uh, I felt like I learned a ton from you just sitting here in first service. Um, But uh, one of the questions was, could God use evolutions as his means of creation? Uh, I guess articulate, uh, I only have an Ohio State degree, so talk to me in that language (laughs) of uh, what is theistic evolution?
1: Sure. So, you know, for a start, that term probably just rankles people, right? Um, It it may not be the best term, but basically, you know, what it says is that, you know, the Bible tells us about who and about why, right? And science teaches us about how. And so all theistic evolution is is just embracing what science is teaching us. And, you know, through not just the, the works of Darwin, but really through... Modern genomics, through DNA sequencing, through what we've learned in sequencing genomes, countless genomes in the past 15 years, you know, everything points to, um, you know, the, the fact that, you know, over long periods of time, you know, all the modern organisms descend from common ancestors through this process. And so what does that mean from a perspective of, you know, how does that fit with the Bible? Well, to me, this simply means that science is revealing to us how the universe began and how life began on Earth. And so my view is simply that, you know, as, as the Bible says, God is the creator of all things. And about, 10 to the, you know, about uh, 14 billion years ago, God said, let there be light. And there was light, right? And he created the world. And trust me, if you create 10 to the 80 atoms out of nothing, there's going to be a bit of a bang, right? <laughs> and so that's when the universe began. And through the processes that we understand in the natural world... Um, Planets coalesced and, and life began on earth and my view of God has actually expanded through through uh, th- through science because what that requires is that God tend to you know 14 billion years ago put all that in motion such that over the course of 14 billion years ago it would inevitably lead to you right that That's amazing, right? How could God create all the conditions in this universe to be absolutely perfect and all the laws and the forces uh, to be absolutely perfect such that uh, what he put in motion inevitably led to us. God is outside of time, right? So when he started this, he could see in an instant everything that was going to happen throughout all of human history, including us rejecting him and him having to come and, and die for us, right? He saw all that outside of time, and, uh, and yet, he still put all that process in, in, into works. And so, from my perspective, science is simply revealing to us how God, is, uh, how God created this universe and put all this into motion, and, uh, and did so in a way that led to, you know, us being here today and have, having the ability to have a relationship with Him. Yeah. Um, just two more questions.
0: Uh, one would be. Uh, uh, what are some of the tensions that you you believe that God's means of creation was through evolution? So what would be some of the tensions that you as a Christian have had to wrestle with uh, believing in evolution right. or God using evolution as his means?
1: Sure. So, I mean, I think, you know, obviously the, the obvious tension is, you know, how do you read Genesis 1? How do you read Genesis 2? How does that um, integrate with your, you know, your view of how the universe came apart uh, about? Um, I personally... I'm completely at peace with that, and in fact, um, I'd encourage you, if you're wrestling with this issue, and if you, um, you know, I felt like I was living in two worlds, right, the world on Sunday morning when I'm a Christian and the world, the rest of the week when I'm at Harvard, you know, and, and these were two, you know, discrepant views. Um, I read a book uh, by Francis Collins, and, and Michael Davis um, quoted Francis Collins earlier, so Francis Collins is... Um, He was the head of the Human Genome Sequencing Project. He's the current director of the National Institutes of Health. He's an amazing uh, individual. He's a devout evangelical Christian, um, and he's a theistic evolutionist, right? And he wrote uh, a book called The Language of God. And if you haven't read The Language of God and you're wrestling with this issue, I really encourage you to look it up. You can get it right off uh, iBooks or easily from Amazon. Um, It was a book that brought about an incredible amount of peace for me, um, as these two sides of my life uh, got resolved through, through reading that book, and I'd encourage you to do so. Um, but, you know, that's, that's the first thing is, you know, the, the, the tension that you see between the, the accounts um, in Genesis 1 and 2 and, and what we, we know from, uh, you know, from, the, uh, from what biology tells us. But it actually resolves some issues for me as well. And, you know, as I read it, I, you know, see the poetic language in, in Genesis 1, see how days 4, 5, and 6 all... You know, a parallel structure to days one, two, and three. They're the inhabitants of the kingdoms that are set up in days one, two, and three. Um, And it also resolves some other (laughs) tensions that I always had. Like, who were all these people that Cain went off to and were afraid of, you know, when he left Eden? And, you know, why is it that God would require incest to populate this planet? Uh, if it weren't a founding population of humans that he, he put in place? I think there's a lot of interesting questions and something that you know, is, is well worth digging into um, if, if you have questions about that. But you know, to me, it has been an enormous amount of peace that um, has come about by realizing that there isn't a, a fundamental um, conflict between what the Bible teaches us and, and what uh, biology is teaching us. I think it's a difference between you know, the who and the why, uh, from the Bible and the how, from, from uh, science. Yeah. Um,
0: one of the things I, I wanted to, I guess, share with you before I ask Gavin the last question is, um, obviously, if you haven't picked up, he's a thoughtful person. Uh, and he's a thoughtful person because he's thinking through some really challenging things, not just at the science theological or the Bible theological level, but scientifically as well. And uh, this is not a statement on Genesis and anyone in this room. But uh, one of the things that I think as Christians we don't do well is we're not very thoughtful. uh, That we believe what we believe because someone told us to believe that. And some could even fall prey. Well, this guy, hes gosh, he's got degrees out the wazoo. He taught at Harvard. If he's saying theistic evolution is the way to go, then I guess that might be the way to go. Um, And I would say, from where I sit, uh, uh, I would say I'm I'm a Bible guy. And it's not to say that Gavin's not a Bible guy. He clearly is. But... I believe in a six-day creation. I believe God spoke, and I follow that narrative. I wouldn't want you believing that just because that's the conclusions I've come, just like I wouldn't want you believing in theistic evolution because someone who's much smarter than you said that's what you should believe. Uh, And part of what I wanted Gavin to do uh, is demonstrate for us, uh, uh, let's be thoughtfully thinking through these questions, but please don't forget secondary uh, like, this is secondary issues uh, that we're talking about. We're not talking about primary issues of faith and faith in God and salvation through Christ alone. So um, to that end, um, uh, Gavin, there's people here today, um, and we'll be here tonight as well, um, who are really wrestling with science and faith, that everything that maybe science has told them has led them to believe, I, I couldn't possibly believe in God, um, What would your encouragement to that person who's really wrestling, they're kind of on the fence, so to speak, of I do want to believe, but yet everything in me says, no, I can't believe.
1: So, I mean, my encouragement is that's absolutely a lie of the devil, right? I'm firmly convinced that that's the case. Um, I am deeply saddened by the wedge that is currently being driven between Christianity and science, right? Mm -hmm. I see it throughout the nation, and I see that... Uh, some of the hardline stance that Christians have had is pushing scientists away from salvation, right? Mm. And I think it's our responsibility not to do that, right? If we're a stumbling block, if we're tying a millstone around people's necks and dropping them in the ocean, right, the Bible speaks against that. So be very careful that we're not driving a wedge between scientists and creation. I think that's that's of the devil. Mm. And... You know honestly, I think there 's two extremes that are the vocal extremes and aren 't necessarily reflective of the majority there 's a silent majority uh, in the middle, and I think this you know extreme of people that you know believe that science means that you cannot believe in a creator or cannot believe in god um, that 's wrong it's it's it 's false The Richard Dawkins of this world are are you know the <laughs> Literally, you know, spreading lies and and pushing Christians away, you know, p- pushing people away from Christianity. But at the other end of the spectrum, I also think that you know people that are um, preventing uh, scientists from being able to resolve what they do on a daily basis with you know what their uh, reading of the Bible is 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 similarly driving people away from from Christ. And you know, I'd encourage you to think deeply about this and to you know, not come to the conclusion that these are irre- irreconcilable because I think they're perfectly harmonious and, and, you know, I live in total peace with the fact that I'm a Bible-believing Christian, right? And um, at the same time, a, a scientist who, you know, uses uh, the tools of modern biology and, and the theory that underlies it all.
0: Would you guys uh, thank Gavin for me? <laughs> Thanks, Gavin. <laughs> Appreciate it. Um, One of the things that I love about Gavin and his story, his testimony, and uh, his studies uh, is he studied hard, obviously. He studied a lot and knows a lot, uh, but at the end of the day, his conviction uh, and conclusion is that there is a God, and there is a God who wants to know you. Uh, There is a God uh, who wants you to know him, Uh, a God who wants us to have a relationship with him. And so, if you're a Christian here today, we're going to close our time together uh, by worshiping the God of the universe, the God who is the Creator of all, sustainer of all. So, if you're a, a Christian this morning, I just invite you to spend time reflecting on the God who has revealed Himself to us, certainly through creation, but the God has revealed Himself to us most clearly through uh, His Son. Uh, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, just wanted to invite you. I believe that's why God even brought you here today, uh, is that you could hear some people tell you that you are known by God, loved by God, and God wants you to walk with him. Uh, And as we put our faith not in what we do to get to God, but what God has done for us to know him, uh, faith in his son Jesus, that's the only way we know him. So... Father God, thank you for today, thank you for this morning, thank you for Gavin. God, just thanks for his thoughtfulness, willingness to come and share with us today, Uh, God, what he has learned about you. Um, And God, I pray uh, that even in these moments as we close, that our eyes, our hearts would just be absolutely opened to you. Uh, God, you are the creator, you are the sustainer of all things. God, you are the one who gives life, Uh, both physical but spiritual life comes from you. And so, God, as a Christian, I want to say thank you to you for giving me life and awakening my heart to the truth, to the reality, God, that you are a good father who loves me and wants me to know you. And God, I give thanks that that is true for every single person here who's placed their faith, uh, Father, in you, placed their faith in, in your son, Jesus. So, Jesus, in these moments, we want to celebrate and give thanks uh, to a God who's worthy to be worshiped. But we also, Jesus, want to remember what it is you have done for us that you gave your life. You gave your life so that we could have life both now and forever. So, as Christians, we celebrate, we remember, Jesus, your death and your resurrection that gives us life. If you're here today and you've not ever received the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness of sins, the gift of having peace with God, then in these moments, would you just quietly, where you are, pray, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in you as the only way to bring me and make me right with God, both now and forever.